those who respond to Jesus with repentant faith and obedience are the spiritual family of God. You're listening to Wonder Lake Bible Church, building mature followers of Jesus Christ. Find us online at wlbiblechurch.org. Now, here's Pastor Dan Cox with today's message. Well, last week, I asked a question of you. I said, do you trust God's purposes and plans for your life? Do you trust God's purposes and plans for your life? Do you really believe, not just in your head, but from your heart, do you really believe that he knows better than you and that he knows what is best for you? And do you really believe that you can trust him Or does God sometimes disappoint you? I ask, do you wrestle with expectations? Having certain expectations of God, and Scripture certainly tells us of things that we absolutely can't expect from God. There are things that He has clearly promised to do in His Word. But sometimes we may put our own expectations on Him that go beyond what He has said. Or we expect him to do things the way we want, when we want. But God cannot be manipulated to do for us as we will. And we must simply say, nevertheless, not what I will, but thy will be done. So as we read of John the Baptist's confusion last week as he was sitting in prison... Perhaps you have wondered that too sometimes. What's going on here, Lord? We read there too of how the people of Israel, a number of them, they could not be pleased no matter what Jesus did. It wasn't enough for them. And so we learned then that Jesus does not always do what we want or expect, but he does offer rest for our souls as we follow him. So expectations. Today, then, I want us to consider responses, responses to Jesus. How did various groups of people respond to Jesus? In the text that we'll be looking at today, we will see four different responses, four different responses to the person, the message, and the works of Jesus. But more importantly... I would ask this, how have you responded? How have you responded to the person, the message, and the works of Jesus? How will you respond to him today? We're continuing our series here in the life of Christ, unique, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Been using this resource called One Perfect Life by John MacArthur, which is, is, does a, a wonderful job of taking all the gospel accounts and harmonizing them, putting them together into one flowing chronological account here. And so we're using this to take us through our study here of what the scriptures tell us about the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ. So moving on then and for today then, four responses to Jesus We'll be looking from Luke chapter 7, Matthew chapter 12, and Mark chapter 3, a a harmony of those passages there. And here is the key idea. This is the big idea that I want us to take away from our message today right here, that those 
who respond to Jesus with repentant faith and obedience are the spiritual family of God. Those who respond with repentant faith and obedience are the spiritual family of God. We're children of God. We're brothers and sisters. We're co-heirs with Christ. But before we look at our text, a little context for our text, we had seen how John the Baptist had declared to the nation that Jesus was the Messiah, the long-promised king of Israel who would rule on his father David's throne. The scriptures had prophesied that Messiah would do mighty works, that he would heal the sick, give sight to the blind, hearing to the deaf, that he would cleanse lepers and cast out demons. And Jesus was doing all of these things and more. But it seems he wasn't meeting all of the expectations of some. He was not making a move that they could see to be the political Messiah that they were expecting, who would deliver them from Rome. And and he was saying some rather strange things, implying that he was God, that he was God in the flesh. What are we to make of this? And also, it seems, he wasn't very highly impressed with their spiritual leaders. And they weren't very impressed with him either. So you might wonder, okay, he's doing these things that the scripture says Messiah was going to do, but but why isn't he confronting Rome? And did you hear what he just said? It sounds like he thinks he's God. Not just speaking for God, he actually is God, he says. And our leaders, our spiritual leaders, they don't think much of him. What am I to do? How am I to respond to that? How would the people respond? How do you think you would have responded had you been there? Would you have believed in him? Or would you have been skeptical? Would you want more evidence? Would you be troubled by some of these things he was saying about being God? How would you have responded? In our text here today, we're going to see four responses to Jesus. As we read these then, we'll see that there's only one, only one of these responses is the right response, the best response. Four responses, but only one is the right one and the best one. I want to warn you a little bit here today. Today is one of those fire hose messages. You know, we've talked about if you've been coming here for a while, you know what I mean by that. A fire hose message where we turn that fire hose on the water, just comes, there's a whole lot to cover here. And uh, I see we have here a, a young woman who's interested in becoming a member of the Wonder Lake Fire Department. And, uh, and so she knows what I mean when I talk about that fire hose, all that water coming out in a big hurry, right? And it's hard, you can't get a drink from that. We need to slow it down a little bit. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to put it out there and I'm going to ask you, as I do before, when we have these fire hose messages, I want you to take, even right now, in the quietness of your heart before the Lord, say, Lord, what do you want me to take away from this here today? Don't try to take it all. 
Say, Lord, what do you want me to hear today? What do I need to hear today in this message? So with that, Len, let's turn on the hose and go to Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 36. It says, Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him, weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, Teacher, say it. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? And Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, You have rightly judged. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss. But this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven." And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Then he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now it came to pass afterward that he went through every city and village preaching and bringing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him. And certain women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, out of whom had come seven demons, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward, and Susanna, and many others who provided for him from their substance. We're looking at four responses to Jesus. The first one that we see is from this woman here, this, this sinner who responds to Jesus with faith, with repentant faith. And this first response, I'm going to cut the tension for you right now. I told you only one of them is the right response. 
This is it. This is it right here. All right. Everything we're going to see after this is the wrong response. This is the right response to Jesus. Repentant faith. Repentance. What is repentance? Well, it's a change of mind that results in a change of course. A change of mind that results in a change of course. Turning away from sin and turning toward Christ. She was certainly expressing repentance here. And faith. What is faith? It is trust, confidence. It's it's personal. It's not just in our heads, but it's a whole person response of trust and confidence in the person of Jesus Christ, that he is who he says he is, that he has done what he has done, and that he will do what he says he will do. Full-hearted trust in that, in Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection. And here with this woman, she didn't understand just yet all of that about his death and resurrection just yet, but she nevertheless expressed real faith in Jesus, that he was the Messiah that he was the promised one, and that he had the power to heal her and to forgive her. Repentant faith. So we see repentant faith in a woman who is described in our text as a sinner. Then you might say, well, wait a minute. Aren't we all sinners? Yes, we are. We all are. This woman was. So was Simon the Pharisee. In fact, every person who has ever lived except for one has been a sinner. So what do you mean she was a sinner? Well, of course she was a sinner. Well, when the scriptures here speak of or call her as being known as a sinner, that was a, a, a term meaning that she was a prostitute. So you might wonder, oh, wait a minute. What is this woman, what is this prostitute doing crashing the dinner party of a Pharisee who's invited Messiah over for dinner And she just shows up crashing this part. What's going on here with that, right? Well, the reason for that is is actually it was not uncommon to to go to the home of someone who was hosting a well-known person to just be there as, if you will, an an uninvited, invited guest, if you will. (laughs) That Simon, he was a leading Pharisee. He invites Jesus to the home. It was okay for others just to kind of come and listen and hang out while they talked. So it's not unusual that she would go to this home uninvited in the home of this Pharisee. What was unusual? The kind of person she was. That was a little unusual for a prostitute to show up at a Pharisee. Actually, it probably wasn't that unusual for a prostitute to show up at the Pharisee's house, but <laughs> that's another story for, <laughs> for uh, another passage of Scripture. All right? So, here she is. She has brought a flask of oil. She is at his feet weeping. She has washed his feet with her tears. She's wiped them with her hair. She kissed his feet. She's anointed him with oil. And meanwhile, what did Simon, a spiritual leader of the people, think of all of this? What was his response to all of this? Self-righteous hostility. Self-righteous. 
righteous hostility. He was not impressed by Jesus. In fact, he was rather hostile. You might think, well, wait, what do you mean he was hostile? He invited Jesus to his house for dinner, didn't he? Yes, he did, but I think there's a reason why he did. He invited him there because he wanted to test him. He wanted to trap him. As we see, as we read from the text there, he wasn't being a very good host at all, was he? Hadn't washed Jesus' feet. Hadn't given him a, a greeting. We might call that, on our day, like a handshake. He didn't shake his hand. He didn't take his coat. He didn't give him anything to drink, right? So in other words, this man was hostile toward Jesus. He had ulterior motives. And not only that, he's self-righteous about it too, isn't he? Well, if this man were a prophet, he would know what, woman, who, what kind of woman this is who's touching him. He self-righteously looked down on this woman, not seeing his own sinfulness. But Jesus knows his thoughts, and he confronts him. And he says, Simon, I have something to say to you. Is it just me or to get a little spooked? What would you think if, if, if Jesus were to appear right here, right now in front of you and say, Kevin, I have something to say to you. Dun, 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 right there, right? Steve, I have something to say to you. Uh-huh. Double in your case, right? Hamada, 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 the Ralph Cramden uh, response there, right? But Jesus makes his point, though, by telling a parable. What does he say? There's a creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii. A denarius was a day's wages for a laborer, a common laborer. So 500 denarii, that's 500 days of wages. That's a lot of money, isn't it? And the other, 50. 50 is not as much as 500, but that's still considerable. 50 days wages, right? And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both the one who had a smaller debt and the one with the larger debt. But he freely forgave them both. And he says, which one will love me more? And Simon answers correctly and says, well, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. Do you think Simon got the point or did it just completely go over his head? Probably that, right? Probably that. He says, Simon, don't don't judge. You You see, you're judging this woman here for this. But, you know, I came into your home you didn't give me any water for my feet. As you know, like when we read the, the, the account of the foot washing, what was that all about? Well, you would take a bath, you'd get all cleaned up. If you're going over to dinner, someone says you'd be all cleaned up, put on your fine clothes, you'd walk to the house, you'd be all clean, but what would happen? Walking those dusty roads, your feet would get dirty. So it was just common courtesy when you were a guest at someone's house that someone would wash your feet for you when you arrived there. That kiss was a greeting. It might be like a, a hug or a handshake in our, in our culture. The anointing with oil, that is, a, again, just a way of, of, of welcoming someone. Simon, you haven't done any of these things for me, and yet this woman, she hasn't stopped doing any of those things since I've been here. But then he says something really controversial. He says, your sins are forgiven. And they rightly understood that he was forgiving her sins. Who does this guy think he is? God? 
Only God can forgive sins. But there were others then too. It wasn't just this woman. There were many others who responded with the right one, repentant faith, including many women, which was revolutionary in Jesus' day, that these women would follow him and he accepted them. Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Susanna, and many others then who provided for him out of their resources. Text goes on to tell us in Matthew 12 and Mark 3, says, And they went into a house. Then the multitudes came together again, so that they could not so much as eat bread. But when his own people heard about this, they went out to lay hold of him, for they said, He's out of his mind. Then one was brought to him who was demon-possessed, blind and mute, and he healed him, so that the blind and mute man both spoke and saw. And all the multitudes were amazed and said, Could this be the son of David? Now when the Pharisees and the scribes who came down from Jerusalem heard it, they said, He has Beelzebub. And this fellow does not cast out demons except by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. But Jesus knew their thoughts. So he called them to himself and he said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself will not stand. If Satan casts out Satan, he has risen up against himself and is divided. He cannot stand, but has an end. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they shall be your judges. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. No one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man, and then he will plunder his house. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. Therefore, assuredly, assuredly, I say to you, every sin will be forgiven the sons of men and whatever blasphemies they may utter. But he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is subject to eternal condemnation. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the age to come, because they said he has an unclean spirit. Jesus said, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For a tree is known by its fruit. Brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. And an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. We've seen repentant faith. We've seen self-righteous hostility. Now we see another response to Jesus, blasphemous rejection. Blasphemous rejection. What is blasphemy? It literally means to speak evil of something. 
And so what were these spiritual leaders doing? They had, here was Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah who was fulfilling all of these prophecies. They're in their midst doing undeniable miracles. And they say, well, we have to explain these miracles somehow. We have to explain this casting out demons some way. We certainly can't say he's doing it by the power of God because then what? We'll have to listen to him, right? But we don't want to listen to him. We'll have to accept him. We'll have to re- receive him, believe him. But we don't want that. So what do we do? But we've got to explain it. So what do we do? I, I know. He's casting out demons by the power of Beelzebub, Satan, the prince of the demons. That's how he's doing it. Satan is giving him the power to do this. So, of course, Jesus then responds. That shows them the illogic of that, that a house divided against itself cannot stand. Jesus knew their thoughts. How can Satan cast out Satan? A house divided cannot stand. But he said, what? But if I do this by the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom has come upon you. Uh Uh-oh. We have to respond now to that. We have to believe in him. But we don't want that. So we reject him. In fact, we're going to reject. We're going to say the Son of God is operating by the power of Satan. And Jesus then calls us what we have come to know as what is the unforgivable sin. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. The unforgivable sin. And what does that mean? When we say that this sin is that this sin is unforgivable, that this sin will not be forgiven, that does not mean that this is something so horrible that even the blood of Jesus is not sufficient to forgive it, right? Is there anything that is so horrible that even the blood of Jesus can't forgive? No, his blood is infinitely sufficient to forgive any and all sin except when you have a case where what? But that's only when that forgiveness is received by faith. And what these individuals, what these Pharisees were doing is they were showing the condition of their heart, that their hearts were so hard and turned against him that they would never believe, they would never repent and believe. And that's why it's unforgivable. So what is the unforgivable sin? A hard heart that won't repent and believe. That's the unforgivable sin. So if some of you out there are wondering or worried, have I, forgetted, have, I, have, have I committed the unforgivable sin? If you're worried about it, you haven't, okay? The unforgivable sin is hard-hearted rejection of Christ. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered, saying, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And the men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. 
And indeed, a greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And indeed, a greater than Solomon is here. And when an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places seeking rest and finds none. And then he says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it empty, swept, and put in order. And then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter and dwell there, and the last state of that man is worse than the first. And so shall it also be with this wicked generation. Our last response here today, we've seen repentant faith, self-righteous hostility, blasphemous rejection, and then something I'm calling unpleasable unbelief unpleasable unbelief. We saw unpleasable unbelief last week when Jesus condemned the cities of Capernaum and Chorazin and Bethsaida, this place where he had done most of his mighty works, and yet what? It wasn't good enough for him. Have you known someone who maybe has said, or maybe you've even thought this, well, you know, if God would just do this, or if I'd just see this, well, then I'd believe. How many of you know that oftentimes the person saying that, if God were to do that, to do a miracle right in, their front, right in front of their eyes, they still wouldn't believe, right? Because it's a condition of the heart, not a convincing of the mind. Now, it's important. The mind is important, right, in, in the process of conversion, repentance, conversion, faith, obviously. But it's more than just, it isn't just something in our heads or what we see, it's a condition of the heart. And these people couldn't be pleased. No matter what he did, it wasn't enough. And so here comes some. Jesus has done all of these miracles. He had performed thousands of miracles, healing, casting out demons, even raising the dead. But that's not good enough for him. They're unpleasable. Why? Because their hearts are full of unbelief. They refuse to. It's not that they... It's not that they hadn't believed, it's that they would not believe. They could not believe. Their hearts were stuck in unbelief, unpleasable unbelief. So Jesus said, you know what, I'm not going to do that for I've already done plenty. So you know what, you're not going to get any more signs. That is nothing that's going to please you. You're only going to get one more. i tell you what, I will do, there's going to be one sign. Only one sign you're going to get. And it's going to be the sign of Jonah. Now, somebody's like, sign of Jonah? What is he talking about? What, you mean Jonah, like the Old Testament prophet? He, he disobeyed God, and he went, and he got in the boat, and went. he was supposed to go to Nineveh and preach, and he didn't want to go there because those Ninevites were really nasty people. And so he didn't want to go there. So he went in the opposite direction. And then, of course, the storm comes up. He, he gets, he's thrown overboard. He's swallowed by the great fish. And he's in the fish. He's in the belly of the fish for what? For three days. And then he spit back out on the shore, and then he goes and he preaches to Nineveh. He says, that's the only sign you're going to get, the sign of Jonah. What? Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days, and then he emerged. So what's he talking about? He's talking about the resurrection. The sign of Jonah is that Jesus, he's going to die. He's going to be in the grave for three days, but then he'll rise. That's the only sign you're going to get. 
this generation is going to get the resurrection. Oh, well, that'll convince them all then, right? No. But that's all you're going to get. But you know what? It did convince a number of them. You know, the book of Acts tells us that in these early days of the church, that a number, after the resurrection, a number of the priests were even believing him, such that what? So that the higher-ups, they're getting nervous about this. What, even some of our own, they're, they're believing now because of the resurrection. We've got we to gotta, we gotta tamp this thing down before it gets even worse. The people of Nineveh repented and believed. The queen of Sheba came to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and she saw the glory of Solomon's God. But now there's one who's greater than Jonah, who's greater than Solomon. The Son of God is here. And the only sign you're going to get is the resurrection. Jesus also warns against those who would make superficial attempts at reforming themselves without experiencing the regeneration of the Holy Spirit which is what, the, this, a man, he, he, this, this demon leaves the man, he, he gets his house in order clean and swept, but then he doesn't do any more than that, and then the demon comes back with seven others worth in his worse situation than when he started. I think what Jesus is conveying here is that mere religion without regeneration will not bring true transformation. Religion without regeneration will not bring true transformation. And in fact, you may even make yourself worse. You clean up your life. How many of you, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands here, okay? How many of you tried to clean up your life without really getting serious about the Spirit of God and, and, and you find out that, you know, maybe it got a little better for a while, but maybe your life even got worse until you realize, you know what, I need new life in Christ. I need to be regenerated. I need the Spirit of God in me. Last text, while he was still talking to the multitudes, behold, his mother and brothers came to him and could not approach him because of the crowd. And standing outside, they sent to him, calling him, seeking to speak with him. And a multitude was sitting around him. And then one said to him, look, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you and speak with you. But he answered and said to the one who told him, who is my mother? And who are my brothers? And he looked around in a circle at those who sat about him. And he stretched out his hand toward his disciples and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Those who hear the word of God and do it. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and my sister and mother. Talking about the family of God. Who is my mother and who are my brothers? Jesus is not disparaging his biological family. You know, Jesus, he was was God, God in the flesh, but he was also human, wasn't he? And he had a family. He had a human mother and he had human brothers. Now, half-brothers, right? (laughs) Same mother, different father, right? Jesus was virgin-born, conceived by the Holy Spirit, but he was born of woman, Mary. But Joseph and Mary, I believe, they had other children after Jesus, and they were his brothers and sisters. Same mother, but they weren't conceived by the Holy Spirit as he was. But he's not disparaging them, saying, who's my mother? Ah, He isn't saying, get them out of here, I don't want to see them. 
But no, but like he always does, what he's doing? He's taking a moment to teach. Says, my mother, my brother, who is my, oh, do you want to know who my mother? It's like, yeah, they're his biological family, but there's a, a greater family, and that's the spiritual family of God. And who are they? He's pointing to something much greater than a biological family. He's pointing to a spiritual family, the family of God. See, a bio- biological family is for a time. A spiritual family is for how long? Forever. Biological family is small. The spiritual family is vast. Well, how do you become a member of the family of God? That first right response, faith. Repentant faith. Faith, it's true faith. As is demonstrated in repentance and obedience to the will of God. And those who have this kind of faith are the family of God. They are children of God. The Heavenly Father is your Father. God is your Heavenly Father. Brothers and sisters, take a good look around you here. You see, you see these folks in here? I hope you like them because you're going to be stuck with them for a really long time. And there's a couple of guys in here right now that I'm just dreading being stuck with them forever and ever and ever. No. Most of you, I'm going to be happy to be around forever. We're children of of the Heavenly Father. We're brothers and sisters, and we are heirs with Christ. We're, We're going to receive the inheritance of Christ, eternal life, perfect righteousness, a resurrected body, heavenly reward, a new heaven, a new earth. This is our inheritance. You know, when I think of the family of God, I can't help but think of a number of you. Remember that old Bill Gaither song, The Family of God? Some of you, that song was going through your head when you saw that slide go up, wasn't it? I'm looking at you, Sandy. Yeah. What does that song say? It says, says, you will notice we say brother and sister around here. It's because we're a family, and these folks are so near. When one has a heartache, we all share the tears. And rejoice in each victory in this family so dear. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by his blood. Joint heirs with Jesus as we travel this sod. For I'm part of the family, the family of God. From the door of an orphanage to the house of the king, no longer an outcast, a new song I sing. From rags unto riches, from the weak to the strong, I'm not worthy to be here, but praise God, I belong. Yes, I'm part of the family, the family of God. See, if your faith is in Jesus Christ, you're a part of the family. You notice I often speak of the church family, our church family. I didn't make that term up. That's what Scripture says we are. We're a family. We're children of the Heavenly Father. We're brothers and sisters. That means what? We have each other's back. We rejoice with one another, and we're there for one another. It's one of the things I love about this church family is how you're there for one another. And we're all going to inherit the hope, our inheritance in Jesus, all together. 
And like I said, you better get used to one another because we're going to be stuck with one another for a very long time. And a whole bunch of other people too. All right? A whole bunch of other people too. So, so what? What do you want me to do with all this? Well, I want to remind us where we started with this. Those who respond to Jesus with repentant faith and obedience, that's the only right response. Those who respond to Jesus with repentant faith and obedience are the spiritual family of God. So I'll conclude by just asking one question. Are you a part of the family of God? Are you glad to be a part of the family of God? I am. Are you a part? How are you a part of the family? Through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's turning from sin, turning to him, receiving his life, receiving life in his name, trusting in him, walking daily with him. That's being a part of the family of God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are thankful for the privilege we have of knowing you that we become a member of your family through faith in you. We are children of the Heavenly Father. We are brothers and sisters with one another. And we are all co-heirs with Christ, that wonderful inheritance that is ours. Eternal life, perfect righteousness, resurrected body, heavenly reward, new heaven and earth. All of this and more is ours through faith in the Lord Jesus. We're so glad to be a part of the family of God. We're so glad for the abundant grace, Lord, that you have poured out on us in the beloved. Thank you for your grace. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. For more information about Wonder Lake Bible Church, visit wlbiblechurch.org.